Good morning. Uh, my name is Sam Connect. It's been a couple weeks since I've been in front of you guys, um, but it's honestly a joy to come back and preach and teach, not really preach, teach on a topic that is immediately relevant for our lives. Um, this is systematic theology, and this is where we're answering one big question. Bonus points to who can tell me the, the question that systematic theology tries to answer. Is a curveball. Yes. What does the whole Bible say about blank? Uh, fill in the blank. Any topic. We can make a systematic theology about anything, but really the Bible's topics, core topics, are what we're focusing on in this class. Um, and we're halfway through. We're halfway through 12 weeks. And Lord willing, we're going to invest two weeks on God's providence. An old-fashioned word. Old-fashioned word for something that is very relevant literally every second of your lives. But first, I'd love to give away a helpful resource on this. So there are going to be questions that come up. Providence is a mystery. There are going to be questions. What I think will help answer some of those questions is this book by John Flavel. There's some debate about how to pronounce his last name. Flavel. Okay, I'm learning today. I'm not just teaching everybody everything. I'm learning how to pronounce John Flavel. Mystery of Providence. Who would be helped by a copy of this book? Okay, Frank gives a five-star recommendation. There you are. Let me know what you think about it. Before we get started, let me open us in a word of prayer. Father God, you are good and you are wise. and You bring about your good and wise purposes in this world. We praise you that we, we get the chance to watch your will unfold around us and in us. We pray you would direct our minds and our hearts this morning to rightly understand you in the way that you've revealed yourself through your word. In Christ's name, amen. So we spent six weeks together covering what amounts to about three pages of your Bible. I don't know if you think about it that way, but like this much of your Bible is what we've talked about. Um. We've been investing significant time just getting properly warmed up, getting those sort of starting line doctrines figured out. We talked about God's word, which he first spoke in Genesis 1. It's the first time we see God's word on display. And we talked about the attributes of God. Who is this God who's speaking? And then the last two weeks, Cliff has done a great job walking us through the doctrine of creation, humanity, sin. But really, that's, that's all just front line, like starting line issues that we need to get right. We've just warmed up. We've gotten to the starting line. But the rest of the Bible informs those doctrines, but now we ask the question, what next? What do we do after Genesis 3? What does God do after Genesis 3? Genesis 4, through the end of Revelation, all the pieces are in place. Now, does God act in his world? How does he act in this fallen creation? Now, that's where the doctrine of God's providence comes in to help us. Very briefly, I think we need to review some, some prerequisites, or um, I put prerequisites because a lot of you guys are college students. Um, easy to think about that. You need to understand these things before we get to providence. Just a reminder, some key assumptions before we actually answer some of those questions with God's providence. Actually, you know, I'm going to go off script. Let's take each of these four, four statements and let's have you guys fill in the blanks on this. 
So God is blank from his creation. What would you guys say? Separate, distinct, yeah, any of those work. He is separate and distinct from his creation. That matters because only a God who is not trapped in creation, not one and the same with creation, only a God who's distinct can act freely according to his will. He can act according to his purposes if he's distinct from his creation. Now next, God is perfectly blank and blank. There's a big grab bag of God's attributes. You could, you could fill those with. But what do you guys think? What matters for providence, your understanding of providence? Perfectly blank and blank. Good? Yeah, good and holy is one. There's another one that I'm looking for as well. Sovereign. Yes. Amen. Right? God is 100% sovereign. He is not dependent on us or he doesn't answer to anybody else. He is he does his will and his actions that he purposes and he's he's good in his nature. Those two are important to hold together. Um he's not a a despot, he's not a dictator who is evil, but he is good in his nature and it's a good thing that he's sovereign as we'll see today. Now next, God is blank and blank in his creation. What do you guys think? In his creation, he is blank. He is omnipresent. That's really important. Honestly, all of his attributes are super important for understanding God's providence. <laughs> yeah. Anything else come to mind? You're thinking about something, Cliff. You're good. You're good. I think it's good to remember that he is loving and active. He is not just distinct, set apart, and I'm going to stand over here and just watch you guys figure it out for 98% of the Bible, like for all of human history after the fall. He's not just apart and abandoning his creation. He is actually loving towards his creation, us and everything in this world, and he's active in it. That's really important to remember as we get into providence. And then last, I think you guys will get this from most recent on your mind in the last couple of weeks, but God made humans as blank agents. What do you guys think? What do you make us as? Yeah, yeah, morally responsible agents. Now, we won't get too far into this, how God's providence brushes up against um, sin or, or evil or those sorts of things this week. We will come back to those next week. Um, Cliff laid the groundwork for this last week, but we're morally responsible. We have choices, and we make those choices, and then we are responsible for um, answering for those, um, whether good or bad. So those are some of the, the key things that we need to keep in our minds as we approach God's providence now, I keep using that word, <laughs> the big P word, providence. That's a word we don't hear very often. It's not in your Bibles. If you go to a concordance, it's not in your Bibles. We use this word, but I want to hear from you guys. Raise your hand if you've heard somebody use this word. Okay, most of you. Awesome. Keep your hands raised. Keep your hands raised. Now, keep your hands raised if you have actually used the word yourself in conversation. 
Okay, still most of you. Awesome. Who wants to propose like a one-sentence rough definition? Someone walks up to you on the street. What's Providence? What's God's Providence? I've given some clues so far. What would you guys say? Yeah, God's guidance of all things according to his eternal decree. It's pretty good. Yeah, like one sentence, packs a punch. Yeah, that's good. It sounds old-fashioned. It's an old-fashioned word. But as I mentioned, it refers to something incredibly relevant to our everyday lives. God is active. Now, we have questions in our minds, Christians, non-Christians. Does God even care about me? What's the point of this life? Where is history headed? These are just some of the questions in our minds when suffering comes, when job offers don't line up, when our, all our plans get swallowed up by a pandemic, when despair begins to set in, you're just despondent over all of life. And the answer to these questions and so many others is that God is actively preserving his creation and working out his perfect will to completion in this world. Answering to no one, he is working out his goodwill. He's not abandoned his creatures. He's not distracted by other interests other than what he has willed. Now, let's, let's go back to the handout. And let's read how our church's statement of faith defines providence. And you'll notice that this is Article 3, so it's really early in our statement of faith because you have to get this right to get a lot of other things right, um, to see how God works in the world. So look down at your handout. We, as a church, define providence as we believe that God, from eternity, decrees or permits all things that come to pass and perpetually upholds, directs, and governs all creatures and all events, yet so as not in any way to be the author or prover of sin, nor to destroy the free agency and responsibility of intelligent creatures. Now, that's a lot, but we're going to break this up. Um, really, this week, we're going to handle everything uh, before that semicolon. The first, roughly the first half of this. Really the more basic element. Um, and, and the groundwork for the rest of this definition. We're not going to touch much on um, how sin factors into God's providence. Um, do people have free will? These are huge questions. And I promise I will get to those. Um, come back next week. That's your, that's your sales pitch for next week. Um, but I think it's, before tackling those topics, we need to get providence right. We need to understand what it is that God is doing. And you'll see that there's a few different ways that God's providence manifests. It, it works in a few different ways. In that definition, upholding. Okay, what does that mean? We'll talk about that. Directing. So he's pointing direction. He's, he's guiding. And not just that, but he's also governing his creatures in this whole world. Those are a few of the ways that God's providence manifests and flows out of his character. And we'll, we'll talk about these three in three terms. They're a bit, a bit clunky of words, but I think they, they encapsulate the three different ways that God um, is providentially working. Those are preservation, 
and these are in your handout, preservation, sustaining, and upholding all things, concurrence, which is working in and through all things, and government, which is ruling and directing all things. Those are different from each other, but I just want to pause and, and note those are, those are man-made words to describe God's providence. These roads sort of flowing out of God's character are going to intersect, and there's, you know, if you look at an event, it's going to have layers of all of these. Um, but these are descriptions that we have come up with as humans to describe what God has definitely described in his authoritative word. God has described these few ways of his providence um, in his word, and we are approximating those this morning using some of our own man-made words. You'll see underneath each of these, I put plenty of scripture references, and I would encourage you, we're not going to get to all these. Just a preview, we're not going to get to every single passage. But I've purposely put a lot of passages on this one because it's a mysterious topic. Um, and I would encourage you later, you know, this afternoon, this week, grab another member, or just alone in your quiet time tomorrow or this week, like, read these passages. Praise God for his providence. Just a aside there. First, let's see how God sustains and upholds all things. Let's look at preservation, that first sort of avenue leading out of God's character. Preservation, that's, that's really a shorthand that we're using. It's a, it's a description we're using to describe sustaining, upholding, tending to, maintaining, keeping God's creation. God's preserving what he has made. He has made it, we talked about creation, and he's not abandoning it. He's preserving his creation. And we see this all over scripture. Water preserves its properties. You know, you all drank water this morning, I hope, before church. And then grass remains like grass. The road that you traveled on to get here remained a road. That's super basic. You know, you didn't come here for basic physics, but honestly, things stay the way they are. This podium that I stand in front of before you continues to hold up my notes and my Bible because God caused it to maintain its like wooden properties and metal properties. It is still the way that it is because God is preserving his creation. He's causing gravity to keep our chairs on the ground. He is perpetually causing gravity to keep us on the ground. And he's causing the air molecules to let my words reach your ears, for better or worse, this morning. But he is preserving all these factors just to keep creation going because he cares about it. Now, let's see in a couple of key passages how we actually know this how we know that God works to preserve this world. Look down at your handouts or open up your Bibles to Colossians 1, 16 and 17. It's a huge, hugely important passage for understanding this. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. I included a blank there just to like really hit it home once we get to the end of the passage. Speaking about Christ, Paul writes to the church in Colossae, for by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And here's the key. 
And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This world holds together, not by chance, not by impersonal laws. It's held together by a person, mercifully, lovingly held together by Christ, by our God. Now turn, I don't have this printed. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews 1, verse 3. Again, a, a foundational text for understanding how God works in this world. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Again, some of the context, author of Hebrews is it's really describing how Christ is better than the angels, better than any, any other thing that we could worship. Um, Hebrews 1, verse 3. Speaking about Christ, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Pause and seriously reflect on that, on what these two passages are telling us. This universe, everything that we know, we see, we love, besides the triune God, would just collapse and cease to exist. It would just fall and not be upheld anymore. Nothingness would reign. It would just be utter black. We would be gone. This whole universe would be gone. If not for Christ upholding the universe by the word of his power. He's keeping it the way that it is. Preserving the creation that came from him. God preserves his creation. He sustains us, everything around us. He's patient, he's merciful, he's good. Some of the attributes we've talked about, this is the outworking of that. Now, a couple years ago, some of you guys may remember, Trey Richardson actually delivered a very, very helpful sermon on Genesis 8 and 9, a covenant with Noah. And if you want to think more about how preservation is actually essential for us to have salvation spiritually, for Christ to come, um, for everything in redemption to happen, um, Trey preached a helpful sermon called The Seed of Renewal. If you want to think more about that, Trey Richardson, The Seed of Renewal, you can look it up online. Now, can you all tell me, just shout them out, just some things that we... You physically need to keep going each day. What does God supply us to preserve us? Heartbeat. Yeah, huge. Oxygen. Yeah. What else? You got a heartbeat. You got oxygen. What else do you need? Food. Yeah. We thank God for our food when we, when we receive it. Say what? Sleep. Yeah. Who didn't get enough sleep last night? Okay, cool. Awesome. Watching too much college football. That's up too late. Someone mentioned oxygen. Every breath we take is a gift from God. It's undeserved. It is a gift. He just hands it to us. Just puts air in our lungs. Elihu wisely spoke these words in Job 34, 14 through 15. Talking about God. Talking about this very topic. If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. If God didn't supply our breath, every breath that we breathe in and breathe out, we would just be dust. Like, Think on that. When I was a fairly new Christian, a friend of mine actually 
I asked him how he became a Christian, and he told me that this doctrine in particular was what finally pricked his conscience to repent and believe and trust Christ for salvation. My friend told me he couldn't carry on using the air in his lungs to curse the very God who gave him that breath and his body and his voice and everything around him. He realized that everything was a gift to him and he was using it to curse God. <laughs> I mean, every sinner, I hope that they see this. So you can see even preservation has implications for our evangelism. That's the first avenue of God's providence. That's kind of the first road leading out of his character, his sovereignty. But before we move on, I will not move on until I get one or two questions or comments about either a doctrine of providence, that de huge definition we covered, or preservation in particular. What are some questions that come to mind or comments about this? Yeah, really good question. So this is not necessarily a talk about his sovereignty directly. We are talking about a, a huge implication of God's sovereignty. Another big word, sovereignty, we don't really use it that often unless you're in like poli-sci or something, um, or big into politics. Sovereignty, God is, he doesn't report to anybody else. He rules, he reigns, he um, doesn't answer to anybody. It's his, his word against everybody else, and he will always win. That is God's sovereignty. But it's kind of, sovereignty is sort of static. That's how I view it. This is my answer. Sovereignty is sort of a static category. Providence is this very active thing that is happening all the time. It's his sovereignty in motion. Um, how does his sovereignty actually intersect with a fallen world, um, his attributes? So God can be sovereign, but like, there's, design another God who's not good and sovereign. You know, that's not really our God. That's not providential. Um, so it's his goodness, his character, plus his sovereignty, plus fallen creation. How do those, like, chemical reaction or active? What other questions come to mind? Or any comments? Awesome. Preservation is fairly uncontroversial. I don't, yeah, I don't think anybody's saying like, no, the God of the Bible doesn't preserve us. Um, but what can raise some questions is that second kind of avenue out of God's sovereignty and character, concurrence. That's a, another fancy word. Really just God working in and through all things. And we use the word concurrence because God is working concurrently or in tandem or alongside um, or in partnership with, in cooperation with um, thesource.com. You guys can probably think of some other words that go along with this. But concurrence, I think, encapsulates what God is doing, working in and through all things. Now, we're going to spend a bit more time on this, as you can probably see in your handout. Um, but I think it'll be helpful for us. I meant to draw this beforehand. I think it'll be helpful for us to work our way all the way up to, um, to humans. We're going to start with, well, I'm not going to write it all out because you guys have it in your handout. We're going to start with inanimate creation, work our way up to animals, and work our way up to like random and chance events. Um, and then 
the actions of people and then just our daily needs in our life um, before we move on to, to God's government. But I think as, as we work through these, um, and as you guys ask questions and, and look at these passages, we're going to see that it, it makes sense that God works in and through people. Um, yeah, and we'll get to it. So first, let's turn to inanimate creation. What do I mean by inanimate creation? Really just everything we see around us. So particularly um, weather, stars, things of this nature, things that don't really have a uh, have breath or a soul, um, but God is still in control of them. Honestly, for this entire lesson on providence, if you guys are familiar with Job 38 and 39, I was very tempted to just print that out on the handout and tell you guys to read that for 45 minutes and then just like sit and pray. Because <laughs> like Job 38 and 39, it's, it's unique. I mean, it really, God answers Job out of the whirlwind um, after being accused by him. God unleashes this flood of questions, like an expert attorney with Job on the stand, right? I mean, it's the most dramatic um, sort of speech from God that's happening. It says things like, Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, Here we are. I mean, lightning stands at attention. Like, reporting for duty, God. Where should I go? Really tell me, like, I don't know. Think about that. The next time it rains or you see a full moon or your power goes out due to snow and ice, I mean, that's not random. That's God. Like, that is God in control of his creation. I like to call this the sort of like praying meteorologist doctrine. Like, you don't see meteorologists praying, but you may not know it. Uh, you probably watched them on uh, football yesterday, but University of Oklahoma only four hours from here, number one meteorology school in the country. Guarantee you there will not be a course on the true source of weather patterns, hurricanes, tornadoes. There would not be a course on that because um, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit with our understanding of inanimate creation around us, but God is in control. So Psalm 104 is a very helpful passage on this and the next sort of topic. Um, sort of area of God's providence, working out his control and his, his goodness. Um, yes, God is acting in and through inanimate creation, but he's also working through animals. I don't know if you know, spend much time thinking about this, but it is worth our time. Psalm 104 is a glorious passage of praise to God. But one interesting cause for praise sticks out. God's providential care for animals he's made. I mean, we, you and I think when we watch like Planet Earth or any number of copycats off of Planet Earth that have come out, you know, you watch a nature video and you see a lion hunting its prey and you're just, wow, that lion is so powerful. That lion is king of the jungle. But read Psalm 104 verse 21. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food, not from the plain, but seeking their food from God. They are begging God for their food. I mean, why don't we? <laughs> if the lions get this, the lions understand. Um, the psalmist goes on describing God's providential relationship with animals in verse 28 of Psalm 104. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. How much more so for us, right? I mean, why don't we roar 
for food from God? <laughs> Why don't we ask for such things? All right, you didn't sign up for a zoology lesson. I get it. Like, this is not what you signed up for. But I wonder if some of, some of your questions going on right now in your mind are what people were thinking when they were listening to the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus in Matthew 6 just said, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? There's implications for God's providence over all things. We can learn lessons from God's providence in all things. Now, before we sort of pause and and have some reflection time and and question time, I want to get to seemingly random events, chance events. We're working our way up. Proverbs 16.33 clearly states, clearly teaches us the lot, or essentially dice, the lot is cast into the lap. But its every decision is from the Lord. Now, do not, do not raise this so that you guys go out and buy lottery tickets or try your hand at the World Series of Poker. I think that's going on right now. I do not raise this so that you guys can sort of pray and then think, okay, chance events are in God's control. But I do raise it as an important part of his providence. It's important because in this modern age, where we have so much information flooding into our eyeballs and our ears, we can put our trust in probabilities and statistics. I, I don't know if you've thought about this with, with results that you're waiting for, for maybe health, health screenings, or maybe a job offer, or job prospects. We can be terrified of a 1% chance of something happening to us. We can be utterly terrified and despairing because of the probabilities not just not working in our favor. And we just lose complete sight of the author of those chances, those probabilities, those percentages. And we can also, on the flip side of it, put our complete trust, 100% of our trust, in a 99% chance of something happening. I don't know if you've thought about this, but I, it was crucial for me and my wife to remember this, bringing our first child into this world, welcoming her into our family. We, we spent hours reading about different diseases or conditions or what does the sound that she's making mean or why is she not sleeping or what it's, what's going on, and we just saw percentages and chances, and we were like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, we're good. Or, oh my gosh, th- the risk of this is crazy, and we just, God is not in the equation. And yet the lot is... Is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God is the author of probabilities, chances. Don't put your hope or put your despair into chances of things happening and forget the God who's truly in control. Now before we before we move on to maybe some of the more mysterious aspects of God's providence, any comments or questions on these first few areas of concurrence? I don't fear a comment like that because the Bible is a very political document. I don't know if you guys thought about this. But God is in control, 
and everything I'm saying this morning is a very political statement that many, many people in their flesh disagree with. God is, they think God is not in control. That we, de- we determine our own destiny um, as humans. So yeah, that's a good point. Climate change, inanimate creation, God is in control of that. Um, and we are called to be wise stewards, but it begins with God being in control. He created the world. Any other comments or questions on these first few areas of concurrence? Um, don't know if that was a question or a stretch. Oh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 God's preserving the very arena in which He is going to save this world. Like, that's that's a mind-boggling, it's just truth from God that that He chose to do that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 I mean, your boy Augustine talked about that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, chance literally doesn't exist. I don't know what you me- you guys mean. Really, like, try to define chance and randomness. It doesn't exist. Funny thing is, statisticians will agree with you on that. But go ahead. Yeah, I mean, this wise, good God also created us as morally responsible agents and with the power to act. And with yeah, He created lightning to go ahead and act the way that it does. Um, he created rain to act the way that it does. He created dice and you know, random events. He created the animals to go ahead and seek out that prey, and he's going to give it to them. Like, we just, yeah, as we work up to people and um, ourselves thinking about God's providence, that's a really good question, but it's it's important to note that we can think about this philosophically, like, um, in categories and premises and that sort of thing, but what God invites us to do is look to his word and to see what we are called to do, and then see how he is going to supply us with what he has called, with all, everything that we need to do what he has called us to do. hope that answers your question. And we're also more and more and more introduced, reintroduced to the God of the Bible, who is in control. He's not this philosophical concept. Um, sort of a man upstairs who's just like pulling the strings, but he is a good and wise God who's partnering with us to work out as well. Any other questions? Hmm. Wow. Man. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, as we look at creation, we can just be amazed at his, his handiwork. Um, his wisdom in creating it. So hopefully now you can you can start to piece together, okay, this makes sense that God would actually work in and through people as well. We're not this exception from his sovereignty, like, oh, oh, everything in this world except for humans. Don't yeah, not working in and through humans. We're no exception. 
Um, that's a good thing. God cooperates with created beings, us as people. With, he works with our distinct characteristics. He works with our distinct attributes, our personalities, um, and he works in and through those things for every action, causing it to come about. And he's doing that to execute his will, which is, as we remember, the basics. It's a good thing. Um, Proverbs 16, verse 9. This is a good memory verse. Especially if you work with um, children, it would be wonderful to have them memorize this. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. It's Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So we may purpose to do something. You know, we have we set a plan, like tomorrow and next year we'll go to this city, you know. Um, we may purpose to do something, but whether or not that thing happens is finally up to God. It's finally up to him to actually make it happen. And this touches on a, a concept we need to cover, primary and secondary causes. You may hear this thrown around. Again, this terminology is not in the Bible, but it describes what we do see in the Bible. And so God's invisible behind the scenes directing work behind each event is truly the primary cause fueling this world to keep going and events to keep happening the exact way that they do. It's the primary cause, God's work. But as I mentioned, God works alongside his creation with unique characteristics of created beings. People like you and me, we actually also bring about our actions. We are not robots. We actually have plans. We have actions that we take and we're held accountable to. We are the secondary causes. Anything that's operating within the category of creation, that's a secondary cause to God actually purposing it to happen. So it's not a matter of either or. Either God is acting or humans are acting. And we need to decide, like, one or the other. Remember that verse, it's super helpful for this. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of a man plans his way. So we, we plan out what we want to do, but the Lord establishes his steps. The Lord actually makes it happen. Can you all name for me, and in Scripture, let's start with in Scripture, some, some things that we know of where God is working alongside human actions to accomplish his purposes. Joseph, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amen. So yeah, the story of Joseph is just a perfect example of like man's intention and God's intention actually being contradictory in their what they want out of a situation, but God's going to work that for good. Yeah. The crucifixion. I mean, that's like the apex of literally everything from Jesus' arrest all the way through his crucifixion. I mean, just read the final handful of chapters of Matthew and just underline your Bibles uh, the words so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. Like Jesus is just constantly like, yep, this is so the scriptures may be fulfilled. And he's, you know, he's going into it knowing God is in control here. Um, yeah, but humans are, are purposing something different. Um, and God uses that for his good purpose. What else comes to mind? Yeah. 
Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, the nations wanted to take over Israel. They wanted to, to win, and they think they, they were victors. They thought that they were the Lord, honestly. Um, yeah, that they were sovereign. And then the Lord actually uses that for his purposes. <laughs> it's just so, it's a curveball every time. And it's like, you can't win, you know, um, if you try to go against the Lord. What else comes to mind? I think it's good we start with Scripture before we work out to our everyday lives. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Paul's whole conversion, that's just, yeah, God working. And he was working, he didn't, it's interesting with Paul and with both Paul's conversion and with Peter um, preaching to Cornelius and his whole household, God could have just converted. But what did he do? He just slowly, meticulously, patiently put people in place to preach the gospel. And that's, that's how it happened. You know, it's, yeah, it's just remarkable. God's playing three-dimensional chess. <laughs> um, I would also, we don't think about this often, but scripture being written and then preserved for us and handed down to us. So First Peter 1, you know, the authors of scripture were carried along they, you know, they were doing the writing, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is a God and humans working in tandem with each other for good purposes. And even also in First Peter 1, like the prophets, they were actually serving us. You know, they thought that they were preaching in their own time, and they were, and they were doing what God wanted them to do. But come to find out, they were serving us today. I mean, that's just God's good purpose. We can read the prophets today, even though they were serving in their own time. We could keep going all day, literally every page of the Bible. Like we could, we could point to something where God is using people for his good purposes. Um, if you're like me, this is when your mind starts racing. I mean, like why would God allow bad things to happen? Where did sin come from? And I would just encourage you guys to, when those questions start to rise, start arising, like we'll touch on a lot of those next week, but just in general in life, when those questions come up, Try to think back to what you know about God. Think back to who this God is. He's not just some, some mysterious figure who we don't know anything about and we're just like beholden to his will and we don't know anything about him. Remember what you know about him. He's good. He's our good father. He made heaven and earth. He's wise. He's loving. Um, and it's actually a good thing that he is sovereign. Now just a quick personal story. I, I don't know about you all, but I... Early in my faith, I really depended upon others telling me about the Lord, others telling me through podcasts or sermons and articles, blogs, like Bible studies, devotionals. I mean, just you name it, go to a Christian bookstore or, you know, look up the next greatest Christian bestseller, and it's probably going to help you follow God, but it's not sufficient, right? Like, it's not sufficient to actually know things about God, but you want to go to his word and how he has introduced himself to you. The word of God is, is, makes wise the simple. Like we can be simple-minded and God will make us wise to understand him. It's a beautiful thing. And so that is also going to reshape some of the questions that you ask of God. It's going to reorient you from accuser to humble listener and student from this God and follower. The last area of God's concurrence, 
concurrence that we want to see is our daily lives. Working all the way up to just moment by moment our daily lives. Um, we've covered much of this already, you know, just in thinking about our daily lives, but God's providence isn't just something we study, it should fuel our prayers. If you look back at Matthew 6, we were there a few moments ago, Jesus taught his disciples to pray with God's providence in view. I don't know if you thought of this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Like God is concerned with the affairs of nations. He's concerned with lightning and storms and moons and stars. And he's concerned that your belly is full. Like we should pray for that because he's in control of that too. Just the smallest minutia of our day we can pray for because he has a listening ear and he's in control. Before we touch on this last uh, sort of avenue of, of God's providence, any questions on concurrence or preservation, definition of providence, anything we've covered so far, comments or questions? Yeah. It just appeared on the table. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the milkmaid, milk, yeah, milk the cow, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes, when we pick the apple off the shelf and whatever. Yeah, there's like five trillion things God is doing at any one time. We're, I don't know who said this, we're aware of like two of them. <laughs> like we see them with our eyes. It's just crazy. Um, but yeah, those God's providence in our daily lives, it works its way out in somewhat ordinary ways at times. And come to think of it, we, we pray very like self-centered, but how can we actually be God's providential care for somebody else? Like, how can we be put into a position to love someone else? That's something to chew on. The third and last road leading out of God's character and God's sovereignty, um, as we kind of work our way up, actually, we can keep, we can keep going. Because not just individual lives does God care about or, um, or is sovereign in, but he's actually ruling and directing all things. He's ruling and directing all things. Well, the first two we've covered are important, preservation, concurrence. But those would look extremely different if God was just on equal footing with everybody else. Okay, God's just one player here, and you got Sam, and you got Cliff, and you got Sam, and like whatever they decide, that could maybe like overstep what God's decided. No, that's not what it's like at all. God rules over everything. His will doesn't answer to anybody else's. Just hoping, God doesn't just hope that his purposes are executed without a hitch. He rules over everything. Psalm 103.19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Just last Sunday, our guest preacher, I mean, how did Psalm 146 end? That the princes were on the throne forever? Humans were on the throne? Oh, no. No, it didn't end that way. 
The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Now, we can have the habit of glossing over passages like this. I don't know about you guys. I'd sort of just, yep, God's king. Cool. Got it. But thrones, ruling, reigning, king, those are words we just, outside of these walls, like we don't use those words. We don't live in a society that thinks about just going along with what the king says because he said it, because it came out of his mouth. He's the king. He rules. We don't think about that. Um, whether it's our culture, our society, just the area we grew up in, we don't think about what that means for our daily lives. But those are words that can lose their punch if we don't stop and meditate on what it means that God rules. And how it's a good thing. One thing we have to say based on Scripture is that God actually rules over the affairs of nations. Now, <laughs> we were talking about being political. This is very political. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to get into specifics, but just like, this is a very political statement that God is actually in control of who rules, who reigns, what happens, um, who's in control, who's in power, and why and when that happens. Even just last month, Brad led us through Isaiah 14, where God asserts, this is in Isaiah 14, the Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be, as I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land, and on my mountains trample him underfoot, and his yoke shall depart from them, and his burden from their shoulder. This is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations, Final, final statement. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? I mean, that's, that's a good thing that God rules. He's not just guessing, like, I think this will work, this might not work. No, like, he's not like us. He's not like us just planning out his time and his, his purposes, hoping that it, it goes off without a hitch. God rules and he reigns and he reigns and he doesn't answer to anybody else. And I think that's a good thing. As we think about evil next week, it's off script, just a warning, but like as we think about evil next week, we need God to be in control or else evil has the last say. Right? Like, isn't that good? Think back to Joseph. Like, you guys meant it for evil, but what you meant for evil, God meant for good. It's a beautiful thing. We need God to be sovereign and have his providence in control. And we can also think about God steering the ship of history. You know, he's ruling the affairs of nations. Um, who's in power? Who's not? What's going on? And we can be certain that as he steers the ship of history, that it has an ultimate destination. There's a place where this is going. There's a purpose that God is working towards. Paul tells us in Romans 8.28, yet another wonderful memory verse to just, hold on to, and bank your life on. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together. Not just together, not just work together, but for good, for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And we can get desensitized to that verse. You guys have probably heard it before. But I just, like, you really need to pause and meditate on that, that truth. 
um, before you get to a point where you're questioning God's providence. Before you get to that point. Not in the middle of it. God reigns over both non-Christian and Christian. We just thought about Christians. But his rule is good, and is, he's particularly concerned with executing his will for the sake of redemption. Yes, he is ruling over the affairs of nations, over kings and queens and presidents and parliaments and everything in between. But this world, you know, everybody's individual lives, inanimate creation, animals, everything is working towards redemption, which has been accomplished in Christ. Now, Philippians 2, 10 through 11, is that final destination where the, the, the ship of history is being steered, and it will arrive in port, and it, it will arrive safely, because God is at the helm. Philippians 2, 10 through 11, so that at the name of Jesus, every, name, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are not Lord. No one else is Lord that is created. Jesus Christ is Lord, and we will confess that. Like, that's good, and God is working to make that happen on the last day. Some, perhaps all of us, will do that as redeemed followers of, of Jesus, and it'll be a glad shout. But some of us will do that against our will. Now, if you haven't re repented from your sins, if you haven't actually turned and already confessed Jesus as Lord, God would call you to do that now. God would call you to do that today because you will do it on the last day. Whether through gritted teeth and just begrudgingly or gladly because you know that Jesus is your Redeemer, not just the Lord, but also your Savior. So Jesus Christ is Lord, and we will confess that one day because God is providentially caring for this world. He's working in and through this world. He has worked through people and things and places and events to make redemption happen and to bring us to the throne on the last day. Now that's a lot. That's I basically systematically covered Genesis 4 through Revelation. But um, in... Who knows how much time. But I do want to pause and take whatever short amount of time we have left and just think about what this means for us. We've, we've peppered in some application here and there. But really, I want to hear from you guys. Like, What does this mean for us in our daily lives as Christians, particularly as Christians? What effect should it have on us? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We see bits and pieces of God's providence, but we can know for certain that He is working and He is in control. And yeah, when 
when evil happens, when good happens, it is to God's credit. It is, it is him in control of all things. Um, and yeah, especially division, especially like when, yeah, emotions run high um, with everything happening in the past two years or year and a half. What else, what other like effects or just thoughts come to mind with God's providence in our daily lives? Mm-hmm. Amen, yeah. Yeah, and good, yeah, as you said, it, it's not necessarily our definition all the time. Like, we don't see perfectly the way God does. And thinking back to those attributes of God, I mean, he is the definition of good. He can't do anything else but good. Um, and that's a hard pill to swallow at times if it's not what we, we, what we imagined. Um, what, else, what else comes to mind? Yeah, who who here uses the phrase, oh man, that was a total God thing? Like, I use that, like, sparingly, you know, just sometimes. It's like, oh my gosh, I can just say, like, every sentence I say, every event I go to is a God thing. Like, it kind of loses its meaning after a while. Like, you just thank God for everything. Um, and we shouldn't just think that good things happening are, are, like, God's providence working. Like, we can suffer and know that God is in control. And have a hope that other people can't have. Yeah. What else? I have a few words listed here, just quickly going through. I mean, worship, definition of worship, is just giving praise to someone or something that deserves praise, that is praiseworthy, um, worthy of worship. And so we can give praise to God knowing he's in control. Like, we're not, and he is. And the more we meditate on that in our lives, we'll see that he is worthy of praise in a way that nothing else really is and nobody else is. Now, trust, we kind of already touched on it, but faith in Christ enables us, in spite of all mysteries of trials and suffering and things not going the way we, we want them to, through faith in Christ and through trust, we can cling to that conviction that God rules, that God rules the world. Um, and that's the same God who's forgiven us, our sins, who's redeemed us in, in Christ, who's adopted us as his children. That's the same God, one and the same, and we can trust him. Um, patience, just briefly, understanding providence over time will grow our patience through all circumstances. We can wait upon the Lord knowing that his answer it will always be the right one. And if he's just not answering that prayer, and it just feels like, you're knocking on a door and there's nobody on the other side. I don't know if you prayed that way and it just feels like, what is happening? Are you there? Like, what is going on? The Lord 
is working out his will. He is patient, and so we can be patient. And he is in control, and he hears us. Um, gratitude, I don't know about you guys, but the people that I know in my life who, who understand God's providence most are actually some of the most grateful people I know of. They, kind of like Ryan's point, like they thank God for everything. Like they've just, prayer comes out of them every turn, and they're thanking him for just the ability to come here to church. Just the small things of, um, yeah, just having food for dinner tonight. Like just everything can, you can be thankful for. Um, and that's how Paul can say in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, and it's tied to providence because he finishes that saying, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances, for what is happening is the will of God. And last, certainly not least, we can have hope that nobody else has. We have hope that a God who is in control is behind what we're hoping for and what we're, what we're wanting, and we can have confidence in Christ knowing that God is going to bring to completion his redemption, his forgiveness, his mercy. He's going to bring that to completion at the day of Christ. We just have an amazing hope in God. Um, any last comments or questions before I, I just preview the next couple weeks and close this in prayer? Any comments? Yeah, it's true. That's good. Yeah, that's good. We can just practically thank God at every turn in our lives, just, yeah, for his His provision, you know, providence, provision. It, he gives us all of these things in our life, um, and they're from him. And we thank him. Um, so next week, Lord willing, we're going to cover some of the more difficult questions that arise out of God's providence. I wanted to lay the groundwork today. And then we'll, we'll finish with four weeks on the person and work of Christ. Lord willing, we're going to look at that for four weeks. And that is amazing because everything that has been taught so far and then today's lesson and the next week, it's really leading up to the person and work of Christ as we thought about. That's how we'll close. Um, but let's pray before we head over. Father God, you are good and wise and powerful. You reign over heaven and earth and everything in them. We praise you this morning for your continued provision, your providence, the outworking of your character and sovereignty. We trust you because we know you work all things for the good of those who love you. We pray you'd prepare our hearts to worship, worship you with the body in just a few moments. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.